Welcome this morning to uh, the first week of Men's Bible Study, also called The Summit uh, 2023, where we're going through the book of Ephesians. My name is Oren Martin. I serve as the Senior Director of Equipping. Bobby Crotty made sure to tell me to introduce myself because he knows my tendency is just want to want to jump into God's Word. Um, it's been a joy to, to be here at Watermark for the past six months. Uh, last time I was here teaching the first week of Men's Bible Study, or right around there, we'd only been here for maybe a month five, six weeks. I feel like I'm a veteran now. Uh, So it is a joy to be with you all. And uh, my family and I, my wife and three children uh, have been recipients of of much grace uh, from many of you and from our church. So for that, we're very thankful. Let me me pray for us and then we will actually jump into Ephesians. I'll be praying this morning from Isaiah chapter 12. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you and your word says that you will say to me in that day, we will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with us, your anger turned away, that you might comfort us. God, we pray this morning that we would would soak our minds and hearts in the glorious reality that by your grace, we are no longer children of wrath, but recipients of your grace, that though you were angry with us, your anger turned away, and it's not because of anything that we've done. It's not because of our works done in righteousness, but only because of your mercy, only because of your grace, only because of what Christ has done in our place, so we give thanks to you. Behold, we confess together that you, our God, are our salvation. And because that is the case, we we confess and we, we pray, Lord, that we will trust in you and that we will not be afraid because you, Lord God, are our strength and our song, and you have become our salvation. So we gladly confess this morning together that you are our salvation, and we pray that we would live out of that reality today. Help me, Lord, as we uh, jump into Ephesians. Fill me with your spirit, fill us with your spirit uh, to speak, to listen, to believe, to confess, to remember, and to sing. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. About a hundred years ago or so, <clears throat> there was a man named John Mackay, and he was uh, a theologian who later became the president of Pr- Princeton Theological Seminary. And he told this story, he gave some lectures, uh, and he told this story about when he was a 14-year-old boy walking through the highlands of Scotland with his Bible. I have a 14-year-old. I pray that this would be true of my son. Maybe not walking in the highlands of Scotland, maybe in the highlands of Dallas, if there are such things. That was supposed to be a joke, but I know it's early. (laughs) This 14-year-old boy read through the book of Ephesians. And what did he see in this book? He tells us. I saw a new world, everything was new. I had a new outlook, new experiences, new attitudes towards other people, 
I loved God. Jesus Christ became the center of everything. I had been quickened. I had been made alive. And and later on, when he delivered these lectures in his adult life, this is what he wrote. I can never forget that reading this Pauline letter when I was a boy in my teens exercised a more decisive influence upon my thought and imagination than had ever been wrought upon me before or since by the perusal of any piece of literature. The love of Jesus Christ in making my personal salvation possible and in mediating God's cosmic plans set my heart aflame. That was my encounter with the cosmic Christ. The Christ who was and is became the passion of my life. I have to admit without shame or reserve that as a result of that encounter, I have been unable to think of my own life or the life of mankind or the life of the cosmos apart from Jesus Christ. He came to me and challenged me. I responded. The years that have followed have been but a footnote to that encounter. Aren't those amazing words? The years following that 14-year-old boy have been but a footnote to that encounter with God through Jesus by his spirit in the book of Ephesians. This little little letter has been treasured by Christians through the ages. John Calvin called this letter his favorite letter. One commentator about a century ago said, this is the queen of the epistles. John Mackay would would go on to say in these these lectures that he gave uh, that, that Ephesians is theology that sings. I love that. Theology that sings. In Ephesians, it is doctrine put to music. He says, and men, we have the privilege over the next couple of months of encountering this same God through this cosmic Christ, right? The one who reigns over all things, the one who fills all things. We have the same opportunity that he had to encounter the same God through Christ by his spirit as we walk through this book. So we're going to jump in. I'm not going to give a lot of background information. If you want, you can read. If you haven't already, read. Go go back and read Acts chapters 19 and 20. It gives uh, Paul's three years that he spent in Ephesus, some of the things that he did, some of the things that he taught, his parting words. Great background information. This little letter written about uh, in the 60s or so <clears throat> was given, scholars disagree, but was given to the church at Ephesus, maybe churches, right? a circular letter that made its way around. But what I want to do in our time together is just unpack a a couple of themes from the book of Ephesians. We'll move our way fairly quickly, right? The first theme I want us to see from this little book is that Ephesians gives us a gospel theology. Ephesians gives us a gospel theology. I have written there that theology is words about God from God. That's It's pretty simple. Words about God, not from us that we make up. No, they're words about God from God. They're rooted in his revelation to us. And Ephesians gives us astounding, staggering, mind-blowing, glorious words about God. And not only about God, but all things in relation to God, which Ephesians tells us is the summing up of all things in Christ. 
I mean, think about Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3. It opens up with praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. And in him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. I mean, just to unpack that, actually in the original, that's one sentence. English translators have went and put up, you know, uh, periods and, and grammatical things to kind of give us a, just to catch our breath. But you kind of get the sense, when you just read it as one continuous sentence, it's like even, even the grammar blows you away because it's, it's so long and it's so complex and it's so glorious because grammatically it communicates something to us theologically, that God is glorious. I mean, in Ephesians 1, we have a wonderful picture of God the Father's electing love in planning our salvation before the creation of the world. We have a picture of Christ the Son's redeeming love in accomplishing that salvation through his life and death and resurrection. And we have a picture of the Holy Spirit's powerful love in applying and guaranteeing our salvation. Right, this is a Trinitarian picture of what God has done for us, how he's acted for us and our salvation. This is a letter about the sovereign, glorious, powerful, triune God who from eternity past determined to save a sinful people like you and like me. Pause and think about that just for a minute. God did not save you and God did not save me because we were so lovely. No, rather, he saved us because he is loving. That's who he is, all the way down. God is love. Ephesians 2 tell us, tells us that we were by nature children of wrath. And this reality, and I hope as we walk through this letter of Ephesians, this reality should, should produce and cultivate humility and thankfulness. Pride is a contradiction to the Christian life. It's an affront to God because it tells others that we deserve what we got. Friends, we did not deserve what we got. I don't even think that's proper grammar. We, did not, we do not deserve what we have received. If it's by grace, then it's been freely given. And it's by grace. 
So I hope that in our times together that we would help each other see and delight in and rejoice in and praise this God. And that we might remember, right, that it's not just this God. It's your God. And it's my God. Martin Luther actually said that the essence of Christianity is found in possessive pronouns. The essence of Christianity is found in possessive pronouns. What does he mean by that? Well, he says, you know what? The devil and his demons, they can say that there is a God. They even believe in God and they shudder, James 2 tells us. But you know what they can't say? They can't say that, that God is my God and that God is your God. Only Christians who confess by faith their sin and confess by faith that God is the only way of salvation, right? That through confessing and believing in his son as the way, the truth, and the life, Christians can now can say, he's my God. That's an amazing reality. That's an amazing gift. And so I pray that that would become more precious to us as we walk through this book. So Ephesians gives us a gospel theology. Secondly, Ephesians gives us a gospel vocabulary. Ephesians gives us a gospel vocabulary. What do I mean by that? Well, I just mean there's a, there's a logic to the gospel. And we actually see it in the verbs of chapters one through three. I feel like I'm talking a lot about grammar today. But grammar is important. The logic of the gospel is dis- displayed in the verbs in chapters one through three that serve as the foundation for the book. And if you notice, the verbs in chapters one through three have to do with God's actions, not ours. That's the point. In fact, I think one of the, if not the only command that's given to us in the first three chapters is in chapter two, verses 11 and 12, which is the same, it's the same command. And the command is to remember. What, what, what is it that, that Christians in Ephesus ought to remember? That they who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In other words, they remember the gospel. They remember what God has done for them. It's amazing. We have to get this. Why is this important? Because I think that we are so hardwired to work. We're so hardwired to, to base everything we do on our performance. I mean, think about our lives. Relationships. Oftentimes it's a, it's a well, if I do this, then, then you can do this. And if you do that, then I'll do that. Our jobs. You get performance reviews annually. Right? So you're hardwired to, to perform, right? That if I do this, then you will do this. I'll receive some benefit, some blessing, some raise, some promotion. The past 10 years, many of you know, I've taught in a, in a seminary uh, up in Louisville, Kentucky. And I oft, every, sem- every semester, I get emails from students saying, we, will you just show me Grace. I got a C plus, will you, will you just be gracious and, and give me a, a B? Or I got a B, will you just be gracious and, and give me an A? And I would respond every time, every time I would say this. Salvation's by grace, your grades are by works. <laughs> it was a perfect response, I loved it, every time. Right? 
The problem is when we try to read that back into our relationship with God. And we have to remember, friends, that our Christian lives is not fundamentally rooted in what we have done, but in what God has done for us in Christ. That's the essence of Christianity, not fundamentally what you do. It's fundamentally what God has done in acting for us by his grace. So Ephesians gives us a gospel vocabulary. The third thing that Ephesians gives us is a gospel identity. In fact, one commentator says that the the book of Ephesians is about identity formation. Identity formation. What does it mean by that? Well, maybe I can explain through through one of my favorite movies. Have you ever seen the the Bourne uh, Identity, the the series, you know, Bourne Identity, Bourne Supremacy? Have you seen those before? Yeah, you should. They're amazing movies. If you boil down the kind of the plot line of the movie, it's, it's really a whole series about a guy who's trying to find out who he is. He has all of these amazing skills. He just, he just doesn't know who he is. As Christians, we don't have to search who we are. If you place your faith in Christ, if you have turned from your sin and trusted in him who lived the life that we couldn't live, who died the death that we deserve to die, who paid the penalty that we deserve to pay and couldn't, and he did it by his own life and obedience and suffering and death and burial and resurrection and ascension and now who is seated at God's right hand. If we try to find our identity in anything else but that is gonna fail us. But Ephesians gives us an amazing picture of, of who we are by faith in Christ. It tells us that we're saints, faithful in Christ. We're blessed in Christ. We're chosen in Christ. We're adopted in Christ. We're blessed in the beloved. We're redeemed in Christ, forgiven in Christ. We're heirs in Christ. We're sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit. We're raised with Christ. We're seated with Christ. We've been brought near in Christ. Those little words, in Christ, is a massive theme throughout Ephesians and throughout the New Testament. Abide in me and I in you, John 15 says. The more we understand who we are in Christ, the more we will be empowered and drawn to live out who we are in Christ. This is foundational for the Christian life, right? Because we understand that our identity must shape our activity. It's not the other way around. It's only because of who we are in Christ that we can live like Christ. Right? We, we understand from, from these texts that we don't, we don't obey, we don't do something so that we might become adopted in Christ, so that we might become sons of God, so that we might be chosen in Christ, so that we fill in the blank. We don't do those things in order to become those things. No, it's because we are these things that we can then do these things. I think about my kids, right? My kids don't obey me in order to become my children. 
No, my kids obey me because they are my children. They understand who they are in relation to me. They obey most of the time. We're still working on that. And I, and I pray more than anything that, that being identified as my child would be way secondary to being identified as God's child in Christ through trusting in him. But, but we get it, right? Our identity shapes our activity. Actually, our identity in Christ affects our activity. It's because we've been united to Christ in his life and death and resurrection and raised with Christ and seated with Christ in the heavenly places that we can then live like it. If we try to do that out of our own works, by our own strength, we're gonna fail. Or we're gonna be little Pharisees who think, who think we can do it in some, in some measure. But we have to understand our identity shapes our activity. And Ephesians is about identity formation. Fourth, Ephesians gives us a picture of gospel solidarity. Gives us a picture of gospel solidarity. One thing I love about Ephesians is its glorious picture of the church. The people of God, both Jew and Gentile. Right, this was God's plan from all along. Why did God call Abraham so that he might bless Abraham as an as a end in itself? No, so that Abraham might be the means through whom God would bring blessing to the nations. The problem was Abraham and his offspring and Israel failed miserably time and time and time again. But God's gracious. And the fulfillment of God's promises wasn't fundamentally rooted in Abraham's obedience or Israel's obedience as God's son because, again, all we see is disobedience for the most part. It ends in exile. No, God's faithfulness to Abraham wasn't rooted in Abraham or Israel or anybody else except his own faithfulness, right? That he showed us and fulfilled in Christ, the true and better son. And this plan has been fulfilled in Christ who what? Who makes the two groups Jew and Gentile, one new man. We see the fulfillment of God's promises in making a people for himself. And what I love about this is it's a reminder to me that God did not save us to live alone. God did not save us to live alone. God saved us into the church, which is the body of Christ. So what it means to be a Christian is to be part of a church. So I'm so, so thankful I get to, to teach a group of men, right, who, who are committed to the church. It's not God's plan B, it's God's plan A. The, the church is not just supplemental to our growth. The church is central to our growth in Christ, as the bride of Christ. So, so I hope that we can, we can help each other lean into the church and, and to root our lives in the church. We do this as we, as we gather on Sundays in a most wonderful way. We gather on Sundays to what? To hear the preaching of the word and to pray the word and sing the word and to see the word through the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper. That is God's design for us. It's good. It's for our growth. We will not grow as fully formed disciples apart from the church. It doesn't fundamentally or primarily come from community group or from a Bible study, though those are great things, but they're supplemental. 
What's central is the church. The last thing we see is gospel activity. And there's a reason why this comes last, both in my points, but really because it follows the order of Ephesians. Gospel activity. We'll spend a lot of time in chapters four through six looking at how we are to live, how we're called to live the Christian life, how we're not just called, but we're, we're empowered to live the Christian life by the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who takes up residence in us. Or we'll see through Ephesians that the mark of a Christian life is a life that displays Christ. The mark of a Christian life is is obedience that that flows from faith in Christ. Which we'll see in chapters 4 through 6 that both includes putting off sin, but also putting on Christ. Ephesians is going to have a lot to say to us about sexual immorality. our, Our sinful desires our sinful actions, our speech, our relationships, relationships with employers or employees, relationships with our spouses, relationships with our children. I mean, it's amazing this was written, you know, 2,000 years ago. It could, it could have been dropped, it could have been written today for us. These things are going on today. We still struggle with these things. But we must remember again that our activity can only be accomplished by remembering and living out of who we are in Christ by the power of his spirit. So when we struggle with sin, what do we remember? We remember that we've died to sin with Christ. And and if we want power to, to live and to put to death sin, what do we do? We remember that we've been united to Christ and his resurrection life. So as we close, let me just give just a a couple of suggestions as we close. I would just encourage you, if you haven't already, just to to begin reading through the book of Ephesians from beginning to end. We're going to read it like like it's actually designed to be read. I think sometimes we, you know, start reading Ephesians and you get to verse three and you're like, whoa, he's already talking about predestination and election. And then we just stop there and that's what we get hung up on. And then we have debates and we argue about it. We have to remember that God is not a God to be parsed. God is a God to be praised. And if we debate some doctrine, our hobby horse, and we miss the fact that God is doing this so that we might praise him, then we've missed the point of the letter. So I just encourage you to read through it regularly. It's about 2,500 words. It's 155 verses. If you read it from beginning to end, it takes about 17 and a half to 18 minutes. I think all of us have 18 minutes every day to read the book of Ephesians. We can find time, right? Walk into your car, walk into your office. Read through it regularly. It will bless you. When I first started teaching about 20 years ago, I just made my own commitment. Whatever book I teach, I'm gonna read it 100 times straight, just straight through, 100 times before I even start digging in and studying it to teach. Now, I'm not saying you have to do that, but it has been a great practice for me. Because it gets the, the word of God in my mind and in my heart. So read through it regularly. Meditate. Stop and meditate on, the God, on God and the gospel. Before you get to your activity, just meditate on who God is and what he's done for you in Christ. Allow that to, to shape you. Allow that to cultivate praise. 
the last thing I'll say is when you read it from beginning to end, you begin to notice things like Ephesians begins with grace and peace, goes on to describe that grace and peace, the grace we've received from God that gives us peace with God and then peace with one another. And then the last verse or two verses actually ends with peace and grace in reverse order. These are the bookends of Ephesians. In other words, by God's grace, we have peace with him and others. And by God's grace, we can share his grace and peace with others. That's the theme. By God's grace, we have peace with him and others. And by God's grace, we can share his grace and peace with others. So let's pray and we can break up into our groups. Father in heaven, I pray that you would bless our time together as we study this book. Change us through your word in Christ, by the power of your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.